Welcome to Access Podcast, the podcast about podcasts. I'm your host, Maddie Stout, and this week I'm really happy to welcome uh, an old friend of mine, Emmy and Peabody Award-winning comedian Paul Mercurio. Uh, now, Paul, you might know him from The Daily Show, where he was a writer for many, many years, but he's also got a podcast, The Paul Mercurio Show, where he interviews A-list guests from entertainment, media, sports, music, politics, and science. Let's hear a little taste of that right now. They just were waiters who were nauseated by the concept of food and we're reading a specials list. That's it. And we just are going, <laughs> say we have a Cobb salad with a. <laughs> and I'm happy to have him on the show. I've, Paul, I, I think I met you 15 years ago at a bar after the Opie and Anthony show in New York. Wow. Was it? Oh, yeah. You picked me up. We had a great night of sex. It was awesome. It was Thanks, great. Paul. Yeah. You're a gentle, gentle lover. Uh, I am. So, so uh, Paul is uh, one, one of the guys I'm really happy to say that I've as I've known for a while that I've watched uh, kind of jump into podcasting and and do it and do it well. And since the first one you've done, you've got to inter- interview all kinds of people since then. Yeah. Yeah. It's been crazy. Like I try I like to do the one on one interviews, you know, in long form and uh and, you know, kind of just go wherever it goes with people. And so I've been lucky to get some really cool guests like uh, Brian Cranston, Stephen Colbert, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Sugar Ray Leonard, this up and coming musician, Paul McCartney. Um, and uh, so it's been pretty insane. Like people are they, I think they like being able to go long form and talk more than like the five minute sound bites that they normally get on like a stand on a, on a late night talk show, you know? Well, I'm going to save the Paul McCartney story for a little bit later because it's a good yeah. one. But a lot of folks who maybe have not um, heard you before, have not seen your stand-up, they mm-hmm. should know who you are. But your introduction into comedy is very much unlike anyone else that I know. I love this story of how you got into comedy. And I just was wondering if you could relate that to folks that haven't uh, heard you before. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a big drug habit and, uh, I needed extra money. You know, it. Uh, <laughs> um, I was on, I, I went to law school and then I ended up in New York city. Uh, I, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, middle-class family, don't have money, ended up uh, on wall street as a lawyer and an investment banker doing these like huge merger deals. And then I started writing jokes as a hobby and, uh, I was making short films and one of my short films got into a big festival and I met like like Woody Allen and Albert Brooks and all these filmmakers there. I, I lied. I told the firm that I, I, um, my, I had to go help my brother move or something. And I was in, I was in Colorado at a big festival with all these people. So I started to live this like secret double life on wall street. And then I started writing jokes and I, uh, Jay Leno was a private entertainment, um, at this private function that a client had and they invited us from the firm and I almost wasn't going to go. And I just, as I was leaving, I, said, ah, what the heck? And I printed out like a, like 12 pages of jokes that I had been writing. And I don't know what I was going to do with them. And I went up to him after the performance and I said to Leno and I said, uh, I'm a lawyer. I'm never going to use these jokes. I don't know if you need jokes, but here you go. And he's like, okay. Like he really does talk like they're letting helium out of a balloon very, very slowly. You know, like, 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 like whenever you talk to him, you just want to go breathe, breathe. (laughs) And, uh, and so I, I, he takes them and then uh i get a few feet away and he goes hey come back here i go what he goes you might want to put your name and your phone number on here so i know how to reach you like that's how that's how like nervous i was like i'm here i am mr wall street m&a deals and i can't even put my name on a on a document i'm just a complete idiot and i thought he said okay i'll take a look and then i thought i got a nice blow off and then two days later my phone rings and he goes uh hi it's paul there it's jay leno i'm like uh and i had told my friend david who does good impressions about this and i thought it was him punking me then I go, yeah, David, right, stop. I, I know it's you. He goes, no, really, it's Jay Leno. I go, David, you do a lousy Jay Leno. I said to Jay Leno that he does a lousy Jay Leno. <laughs> so, <laughs> he does. Yeah, exactly. He goes, he goes nah, I think I do a pretty good Jay Leno. I'm Jay Leno. I'm like, nah, the voice is not right. So <laughs> turns out it was Jay Leno. And he goes, I read this stuff, and I'm going to hire you to start sending jokes in uh, for the Tonight Show monologue. You don't have to leave your job. He said, you just send me stuff, and if I use it, I pay you per joke. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, no, no. He goes, I need jokes for the monologue. I can't do jokes for my Tonight Show act. I mean, for my regular nightclub act, because people feel ripped off if they see it on the Tonight Show and then they see me doing the same joke that they paid a hundred bucks to see. So 
And he goes, by the way, uh, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a lawyer. And he goes, ah, I knew it. He starts laughing at me. I go, why? He goes, you're right like a lawyer. You're way too wordy. He goes, get to the punchline. He goes, you don't need to give me stage direction when to make a funny face. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> do you and then a week later, he called me. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm what? sorry. Do you remember one of those jokes? Yeah, the joke he did, he called me a week later. And he did one. He said, I'm going to do one of your jokes on The Tonight Show. And I went and I got some champagne with my girlfriend, then my girlfriend, now my wife and another couple. And we watched it and he did my joke. And it was the most powerful thing that I'd ever seen in my life. He paid me 50 bucks for this joke. So here I am like this, you know, middle class kid from Italian neighborhood in Rhode Island doing big M&A deals. And that's not impressing me as much as a silly $50 joke on The Tonight Show, right? Because it was this box that I had been watching where comedy came out of. And now my comedy was coming out of it. It was just weird. It was surreal. And the joke was about something to the effect of, you know, I was watching one of these remodeling shows like This Old House. And he goes, uh, you know, they're always the contractor's very neat, well kept. He's polite. He's on time. He's under budget. He goes, do these people exist in real life? Every contractor I know, you know, he's showing plumber crack, hitting on my wife, drunk, stealing stuff from my house, like that kind of thing. Right. And the joke did well. And then he, he had, and I and I started sending him stuff in. And he started, kept doing it. And then I was like, okay, but I didn't have any plans to leave or Wall Street or anything. So he said to me, Leno, you know, you could try the jokes out before you send them to me. And I go, how do I do that? He goes, well, you can get a sense if the jokes are any good. Go to some, go to some open mic nights and like, you know, bars and stuff. So I did. And I, that's where I truly started to live this secret double life where I was a lawyer by day and a comic by night. Now, I want to ask you a question as I've heard this story a few times. Did you have to hide that you were doing comedy? Was it that frowned upon as being a lawyer that that you would be out, you know, kind of doing that on the side? At this kind of firm, yes, it was one of these big, big international white shoe law firms like it would not be considered proper. They would have they would have like they expect a certain level of decorum and behavior and stuff like that. It wasn't like a solo practitioner, one guy I was working for. Um, it wasn't like yeah. Big Al. You weren't at Big Al's, you know, personal injury <laughs> right. attorney. Yeah, It wasn't like uh, Better Call Saul. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was like, you know, when you see, I don't know, a movie that's about corrupt big law firm, not that this law firm was corrupt, but that like that those big, big law firms with like 500 lawyers all over the country and in Europe. Like that's what this firm was. It was one of the biggest firms in the world. So they just, you know, they don't want their people to be acting like a buffoon, I guess, <laughs> like, you know, and stuff like that. And have their clients see it and then go, Hey, I got a guy who was telling some dick jokes doing my deal. I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. Right. Like, so that was why I had to do it. And I was also embarrassed, to be honest with you. Personally, like I felt like it was, I don't know, silly, frivolous, not going to be taken seriously by these people. Like, you got to understand, these are like really intense, kind of serious, almost to the point of, you know, taking themselves too seriously. Do you think you could have gone away with it if in today's world with social media, do you, do you think that like your story would even be possible? No, I mean, no, I, I, I'd be willing to bet that the, the social media stuff with those firms there, you, 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 I'm sure they, they the people who work at those firms you know sign stuff and the firms look at what they're doing. You're like, no, I mean, I, I mean, maybe I could do some like joke. You mean like write some jokes and put it on social media, that kind of thing. Or I mean, just even as far as, you know, people capturing your act and, and putting it out and Hey, look who I saw uh, doing comedy. Yeah, that, and, I think that would be a problem for them. Like, yeah. I think it would be like, you know, that's not what we do. This is not who we are. It, it just, it just, it taints the brand. You know what I mean? And I think that that, I, I know that that would have not flown. Like if you wanted to do comedy, go do comedy, but you got to quit. And I wasn't prepared to do that, but I didn't want to stop doing the comedy because I was getting something out of it creatively. Like I really connected with it, you know? So it's like, well, what do I do here? You know, I was kind of between a rock and a hard place, but, but that was, that was, that's a good question. But I don't think I could have. Also, I was embarrassed personally to do, to say something because I just, like I said, I just felt like I was with these heavy hitter, like very serious people, and like I'm gonna. I, I just think it would. I felt at the time it would have compromised me with the people I worked with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and so I I would sneak out of work in a dinner break, and um, I would go to these like dive bars around New York City working open mic nights, um. 
And literally, like, I would get in a car, and all the other associates, the young lawyers, were going to, you know, uh, get dinner. And I'm, I would go down to this place. One of the places was called Downtown Beirut Two, and it, and I, and I, I always loved the two because I see that they were franchising these hell holes, or somebody, <laughs> somebody blew up one, you know, I don't, yeah. <laughs> some some bomber, uh, and it was literally like it was a dysfunctional Cheers. They had hookers there. They dealt drugs out of there. There was a sign on the men's room door that said the toilet seat is only to be used to go to the bathroom, not to cut Coke. Thank you, the management. And it, <laughs> it literally said, thank you, the management, which is always my favorite part of this is like uh, they were so polite in their debauchery, you know. And um, and I would go and I pick a number in my little Brooks Brothers suit with a bunch of people that looked either homeless or were hookers or drug addicts. And I'd wait to go on stage. And. The end of the story is one 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 night I go on stage, and um, there's a scuffle just before I go on stage. There's a scuffle at the pool table, and this guy grabs his neck, and another guy runs out, and he and the guy who grabs his neck starts screaming, "He cut me, man! He cut me!" And it was like a, a drug deal gone bad, and he cut him right there at the bar by the pool table with a knife cutter, with a with a box cutter, <laughs> and. And uh, I'm next, but I think the show's over at this point because it's complete mayhem. He's screaming, his girlfriend's crying. Look at my boyfriend. The cops are there now taking a police report. Do you hear their walkie-talkies? You're eighty six or nine, ring, ring. And and then uh, all of a sudden I hear, all right, you guys ready for some comedy? So, <laughs> I'm the next guy up, and I'm not doing it long enough to know that I don't really have to go up. So I go up, and I'm. I remember thinking even then when I had no experience, like I got to say something about what's going on in the room. It'd be weird not to say something. So I say, nice to be here. I always, at the downtown Beirut too, I always wanted to follow a slashing, which I thought was a pretty good line. I thought it um, killed. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And then, but the guy who got his neck cut heard me say it, and I don't think he thought it was very funny. And he said, you making fun of me? And he's drunk. He goes, I don't need to take this. And he takes all these bloody napkins and he wads them up and throws them at me. And they stick to my shirt, to my like white Brooks Brothers shirt, right? Now, a normal person says I'm getting off stage, but I'm like determined. Screw this. I'm 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 going to I'm going to see this to the end. So he turns back to me and he goes, so I'm trying. I'm getting no laughs. He's wandering around the bar screaming about this guy. I'm going to get him. I'm going to. And he goes, what are you doing anyway? He yells at me. I go, I'm trying to tell jokes. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I like jokes. And he turns back to the bar. He goes, hey, everybody, shut the hell up. This guy's trying to tell jokes. And the whole place <laughs> shuts up. And I finished my set. It was like the best two minutes I ever had in my life of stand-up. And I go back to the firm with this like bloody stain on my shirt. And I think I'll just put like a, like, you know, like when you're 12 and you, you break your mother's vase, you think you glue it back together and she'll never notice. But the minute she sees it, she notices. Yeah. Well, that's, that was me. I turned into a 12-year-old. I started walking around the firm the rest of the night with a file folder up against my rib cage, thinking nobody will notice the big grapefruit-sized blood stain on my shirt. And I walk into the uh, I walk into the uh, meeting with this like senior partner of the firm. They couldn't find me. He's screaming at me. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Why do you have a blood stain on your shirt? <laughs> and I'm thinking, OK, my secret's out. This double life that I was trying to hide is going to be revealed. And I didn't know what to say. And another lawyer goes, what kind of shirt is that? I go, it's a Brooks Brothers shirt. Why? He goes, oh, I know how to get blood out of a Brooks Brothers shirt. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> He goes, clove soda and lemon juice. And another guy goes, no, 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 Armani. That's the shirt you want when you want to get blood. Like that literally they were arguing about and I'm, uh, what shirt's better when you get blood. And I just blurted out, are you guys remaking American Psycho? What, what's going on here? <laughs> and, and that became my life. And I did that for a while until I almost had a nervous breakdown. And I'm like, I got to either, uh, you know, shit or get off the pot here. And so I decided to go for it full time and. And I did, and I sold my apartment and unraveled my life and started over again. You know, it was crazy. Moved to a rooming house with, uh, I lived below a 300-pound phone sex operator who sold Herbalife diet products door to door. That was that was one of my roommates in this in this uh, house. It was really crazy. So from those days until now, we we had Al Madrigal on last week, and and I was talking about how social media is changing comedy in, in some ways that are good and some ways that are bad. Right. How do you feel about comics sharing 
so much of their personal thoughts and let's just and political beliefs on, on social media. And do you think that sometimes will will turn an audience off to them? Um, well, especially political stuff. We're so divided in the country right now. I do think it's really hard to kind of have a have an honest, con- open conversation without you know somebody getting pissed off. You know, and it's a shame because. You know, if you look at political comedy going back to the 60s, people in the room may not agree with you, but they were all laughing at least because they all laugh at the absurdity of it. But if people, this is do or die. I mean, they're, as we're speaking, the president endorsed Roy Moore, you know, alleged pedophile. So clearly politics is more important than pedophilia. Like, it's crazy. Um, So I do think that it can hurt you if you do that. But the other thing is I personally, if I weren't a comedian, I wouldn't be on social media. I'm, I go on and I give my opinions about things and make jokes, but I really feel like it's a chore and I don't really like doing it because it doesn't feel organic to me. It feels like something I have to do to stay in touch with fans and stuff like that. And I'd rather have it be like, have them see me on TV or see me live or in a movie or whatever. But it's I, I think that um, I think exposing every aspect of your life is not something that I'm necessarily particularly interested in. It's like I think that you can kind of be entertaining in ways that are more creative than that. But there are some people that like to live every aspect of their day. So, you know, like saying, hey, I just had a really great grilled cheese sandwich with Munster cheese. I like Munster cheese better than American cheese. I kind of want to put a bullet in my head. But like <laughs> sometimes yeah. you, you got to do that kind of stuff. So. I, I feel like as a performer and the, and the comedy clubs too, like they rely on it, you know, they want you to have a following. So the following knows about what you're doing and comes out and all that stuff and Facebook and, you know, you know, putting, you know, putting posts about your weekend, you know, like I'm, you know, where I'm going to be in in the next couple of weeks, I got to do that. But it's just, it just doesn't for me anyway, it just doesn't feel and I also, uh, organic, and it also, I feel like it takes you out of the moment. Like, there's this one comic I know, and he's constantly, like, taking pictures and posting them on Instagram. Like, constantly. Like, we'll be in the middle of talking, and he'll be like, oh, look at that girl over there. I'm going to go take a picture. It takes a picture, posts something, you know, funny about it, whatever. But it's like, it just, it just becomes a job and not. It just doesn't it's just not something that I have fun with, but I'll do it. And you know it, I mean? it doesn't really play into your strengths as a comedian. So if, if you've not seen Paul live, go see him live. Uh, in fact, you can see him in Tampa at the Tampa Improv, December 7th through 10th. And uh, the 14th through the 17th, it'll be at the Omaha Funny Bone. The thing I like about your stand up, Paul, is that it's it's never the same. And I've, I mean, I've, I've gone to see you two or three times when you've been in San Francisco on the same stretch because you do so much with the audience and, and that. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not going to go up and hear the same jokes every time because you're coming up with them as you go. So I think that that's something that you do that not a lot of comics do. Do you find that to be hard today with the climate? Do you find that some people don't want to play as much as they used to? No, that's not a problem. I do think that, you know, I, I like to do that because it's just it's just weird for me to walk into a room and not and to just start launching into material. It's sort of like walking into like, it's like you walking into a, I don't know, a dinner party and just like start just making a speech, you know? It's like, it's like, you know, you go, hello, how you doing? It's just weird for me not to. So I've come to the point where I do, what I do in standup, a, a lot of times I do for me, because if I'm enjoying it, then they'll enjoy it. I mean, I want them to enjoy the show, but I gotta enjoy the show. And so I find that talking to people it, it, in the way that I do it anyway, they don't see it a lot. I really engage. I, it's not like I, some people will talk to the audience as a way to get into a bit like, oh, I see you got a plaid shirt and make a quick joke about the plaid shirt. And then the guy's got a five minute bit about plaid shirts. That's kind of obvious why you talk to the guy with a plaid shirt. I'd rather just I just don't care. I don't have a plan. And there could be something a woman could have a set of period, pair of earrings on or be just, just sitting a certain way with her arms folded. And she looks like she's a little pissed off. And I'll say that. And it becomes a real conversation. So I'm trying to transform the show from a um, from a presentational experience where they're sitting, taking you in, and you're presenting something to them, to a more um, engaged um, conversation where, like, we're all hanging out in somebody's room and everybody's saying something funny here and there, and I'm kind of leading the charge. And but I find like people, 
the, are, are fine with talking. The one thing that has changed is the PC thing has gotten to the point where it's a real pain in the ass sometimes. Like you can't even like, I'll say to somebody, uh, so you're, so you're black. And they'll go like, oh, I'm like, what? The guy's fucking black. Like, I can't say like, what are, what are we supposed to do now? Like to just what happened last night. So then I go, oh, sir, you're Asian, right? I go, yeah. I go, stand up. He stood up. Turn around. I go, everybody, that's an Asian guy. Okay? Everybody okay? We're all still alive, right? Our heads didn't explode. <laughs> and, and so I just go at it. I go right at it because I think otherwise you're then giving into this power that's inappropriate. Like I, this happened to me four days ago, five days ago. My wife and I were in Central Park. We live in New York. We're walking our dog and it's a law. You have supposed to have a dog on a leash. And I, so we're like at a point where people want to literally create controversy when there is none. Like, and I think that ties into the social media thing you were talking about. Like, I think people are empowered by social media. So it gives a, just because you have an opinion doesn't mean I give a shit about it. You know what I mean? Like there's just some people like that shouldn't be putting anything out on social media because they're idiots or they're racist or whatever, but everybody can do whatever they want. Yeah. So it empowers people, not just on social media, but in life. And they, and, it, and they feel like the voice that they have on Twitter, I give a shit about in the park, or I'll tell you another story in a minute that happened to me two weeks ago at a club. So people have more opinions and more, more boisterous and forthcoming and, and, about them than I think than they used to be. And I think because few social media has emboldened them, right? Mm -hmm. So this guy goes to me, I, uh, there's a guy in the park, our dog's on a leash. There's a guy whose dog isn't on a leash and the dog looked aggressive. So I said, excuse me, sir, your dog, it really, it should be on a leash. And he goes, why? Cause it's a pit bull. Like said it the way, <laughs> like implying that I was racist toward pit bulls. <laughs> and I'm like, no, cause it's got a baby in its mouth. The right asshole. That's why. Okay? So, so, and I'm not doing a bit. I mean, I really like said something sarcastic to him and I'm like, and that's kind of what happens. Like I was talking to uh, a couple in the back of the room and, you know, I like to talk and you know me, you've seen me like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a jerk. I'm not like, Hey, you're boy, you're fat. I just talk like in a real way and just see wherever it goes. And we're talking about this couple and the guy was answering all the questions like, you know, how long you, um, uh, how did you meet? What did you like him? And then I said, how long have you been married? And the woman blurted out, 25 years. And the way she said it was funny, the place laughed. And the fact that she jumped on that, I made some mar a remark like, oh, maybe the guy couldn't remember how long they were married. And there was a woman, young, like 20, 28, 29, 30, goes, uh, what, a, a man can't speak in public? I go, what? <laughs> she goes, a man, a man only, me only men are allowed to speak, women are allowed to speak? And I go, it was so outrageous, I thought she was joking. I go, you're kidding, right? She goes, no, what, men are only, and then the place starts going, oh, come on, like everybody in the room is like, and I go, oh, I see what this is. I said, okay. I said, I'm only up there with like three minutes. I said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be here for 15 minutes. You're going to walk out that door and sit at the bar, and there's a window, and you can look at me through the window. And when you see through the window that I'm off stage, you can come back in and sit. I said, but if you think that you're going to come in here and create some false non-PC situation that never happened because you have some agenda, it is not going to happen. You're going to sit there and shut the fuck up or you're going to get out. I said, because I know what, you know what you need? I said, you need a march. You need to leave here and go find a march and march and say what you want to say. But you have some agenda that doesn't fit in this room. And if you want to say something in this room, I suggest you go out and leave your secure career and spend 10 years honing your act as a stand up and shit gigs all around the country and earn the right to be up here. But until then, you're either out or you shut up and she stayed, <laughs> she stayed <in> <laughs> but that but that's a real thing and that 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 sentiment of like ooh, be careful what you say be careful who you talk to be careful how you say it is is kind of out there right now you know the key to a good comedian is is being observant telling mm. and telling a good story and I think mm. that's also what makes a great podcast. You know, you know, my my quote I always say is when when podcasts build empathy. Um, yeah. And and so have you found that the skills that you've honed as a comedian and a writer all these years make you that much better of an interviewer and a storyteller 
you know, when you have these guests on, on the Paul Mercurio show? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think especially the way I talk to audiences, I think uh, I, I, it's just kind of made me a natural interviewer because, you know, with a podcast, I, I do research, I get, you know, publicists send me reels and books to look at and blah, blah, blah. So I go in prepared, but when I go out and do stand-up, I'm completely not prepared. It's funny because sometimes people say to me, were those people plants? Like when you've seen me in San Francisco, I've had people come up to me. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, it always, you, you talk to them and it just always worked out. And it was funny. I go, yeah, I call ahead and I say, I need a black guy, an Indian guy, <laughs> two women and a fat guy. No, I well, said, I just talk to them. And I'll speak and, to that, that. And if you know someone in the crowd, like when you see me there, you, you specifically make sure you don't talk to people you know in the crowd. You know, yeah, so because you it, certainly it would be, don't do it. It'd be weird. It'd be like I'd have to either pretend that I didn't know you, which would be weird, or I'd have to be like, "Hey, Maddie, that was funny." And then suddenly, like you and I are talking, everybody's like, "Why do I give a shit about this guy, Maddie? Who yeah. is this guy?" Like they don't care, right? Yeah. So like, it doesn't work. And um, but the point is, in sort of just sort of talking to these people over the years, um, it just kind of naturally kind of prepared me to be able to, I think, be a good interviewer, which I think the key is, hopefully I am, people think I am, is uh, doing a lot of research, trying to ask questions that other people haven't asked and um, letting the conversation go where it's going to go and not be stuck to your script, you know, like, um, and I think that's the same with my stand-up, right? So, like, I might have a I might make a decision that I'm going to do some jokes about my crazy Italian mom but then I get the sense that, I don't know, maybe it's a younger crowd or something, or they're just not going to go for, I do a mom joke and it doesn't do well. I'll shift, I'll shift out of it and go to something else. And that's the same thing with a interview or the podcast is like, uh, what I love about the podcast and the long form and, the, and no interruptions is that you can start down a strain of, you know, talking to, you know, you about your career in radio, but then you have this great story that kind of veers off that says I have something else about you that I had no preparation for, that I didn't read about. And that, that to me is when it, you know, you get goosebumps and it's like a great conversation because now I know the guest is comfortable because I'm, they're taking me places that they normally don't go in interviews. They're less guarded and it becomes a real conversation as opposed to, hi, I'm going to answer these four kind of questions that always get asked to me. Like, what's it like to kiss uh, George Clooney? And well, do you have a big trailer on the set and all the same questions that they answer? And when you start asking questions that they don't normally get, they go, oh, my God, this is so much fun. I can't believe you knew that and researched that. And and so I think that there's so much that comes out of it, out of podcasting as a beyond just the entertainment factor. I like I, I like to have people on my podcast. I have two kinds of people, people that, you know, a list, you know, good good celebrity name people from different walks of life who you think you know, but you don't really know. And this is going to give you a chance to really get a window into them because it's a long form interview or people you don't know who I think you should know. Like I did two, two Emmy specials right around the Emmys with my acting coach. Who's one of the, who's probably the best acting coach in the country and a big director too. And he talked about the history of the Emmys, what they really mean, why they don't really mean that much. And it was so fascinating and I think that's what podcasting for me should do. It should sort of expose people to things that they haven't been exposed to before. I tell at my class at the university, uh, the class, one of the classes I teach, that I always feel like the podcast goes best when I only get to maybe two of the questions I wrote down. And when they go badly is when I keep forcing it and trying to yeah. ask the questions that I, I think I want to ask and I think people want to know. Yeah. Yeah. It never, those never sound as good. Right. But the thing is like this, what some people will do, I mean, you're so great and people should know, like you, like you said, we've known each other. You're, you're probably the best person I've been with on radio because you are prepared, but then you throw the script out and, and you're, you're engaged and you care and you like, you make the guest feel like that what they're saying really matters and somebody wants to hear it. But when someone like is so tied to their script that they cut, like I'll, I'll listen sometimes, not just on podcasts or TV or whatever, somebody will say something that's like, grab, I'm yelling at the screen or whatever, grab, say, ah, follow up on that. Like instead they, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. going to their next freaking question and the guy or the woman just gave them a piece of gold and they missed it. And they missed it because they weren't in the moment. They weren't listening, you know, and it, it, it's kind of cliche, but it is about all the, it is about the listening. 
It's the same exact thing with my stand-up. Like if I if I go up with a prepared thing where I'm going to talk to you about your plaid shirt and get into a plaid shirt, you might say something like, "Yeah, it's plaid, and my wife's cheating on me." So anyway, I got a plaid shirt too, and I missed the, my wife. And like that, I I should be drummed out of stand up if that happens. But believe me, there are people that do that. Like they'll miss it because they're so fixated and they're not listening. And uh, and so you know, I I think that for me anyway, and you know, in my podcast, there's funny. I'm a comedian, but like it's not me doing my bit on a podcast. If you want to see me do stand up, you come to see me do stand up. This is like another part of me that I, I and I just always like long form interviews so I figured hey why not you know what's a couple of the surprising moments that you've had uh, so far on the show uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson telling me that he was almost going to be a male stripper to make extra money no <laughs> shit yeah he was at the University of Texas I mean I think everybody knows who he is who he is but he's the yeah. head of the Hayden, Hayden Planetarium here in New York and like a genius um, astrophysicist, like, you know, he's, in, but a great personality too. And he was getting his uh, PhD, I think, at the University of Texas. And he was, you know, hard up for money. And he was an athlete, like he was a, he was a wrestler. And then um, I think he was a dancer too. Like he's quite an athlete. And some of his buddies were like stripping from extra money at the local strip club. So he went down and was considering it. So he, his friend, he came, he went down with one of his friends and he, sits down and the first guy comes out. It's not his friend, it's just a guy. And the guy like tears off his pants and he's doing the whole dancing stuff. And now he's down to his thong and he takes lighter fluid and squirts it on his, uh, you know, his groin area and then lights it on fire. It's a great <laughs> balls of fire. <laughs> <laughs> and so at that moment, Neil goes, I think I got up and I walked out and said, this isn't for me. Right. So, um, or, uh, you know, like it's, just well, you know, we talk about Paul McCartney. And yeah, how, that story's great. He, I, and I know how excited to you were yeah. to get that interview too, and how you got yeah. it's pretty interesting. It, it was crazy. Yeah. Well, he he's got a great story of just they used to tour around in a van when they had no money, and that the van got broken into one night, and it was freezing, and they had to like all sleep in the van in what he calls like a beetle sandwich, and they all like the four of them like huddled up against each other, and I could just picture that. Like these are guys that are you know, bigger than anybody on the planet. And then to, but to see that side of them in your mind, I think is really fascinating. And he was great. Like I, he was at the Colbert rapport and he was, um, he was going to be the special musical guest. And, uh, don't ask me why I think the guy's just average. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, he had just finished rehearsal and I was working at the Colbert report and I was running downstairs to go into the studio and I round the corner and Paul McCartney standing in the hallway, like all alone. And I mean, like all alone, he didn't have anybody with him, which threw me more than anything else, because you'd expect a guy of that stature, you know, to kind of have all security and a helicopter hovering above his head all the time. You know what I mean? Like, no, but nothing. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm like, should I say hi? Should I not say hi? And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. He's, he's alone, uh, in a hallway, no guards or anything. He's like a gazelle on the Serengeti plane. I'm the lion. I'm going to pounce, right? So I just go over and I say, hey, it's uh, great to meet you. I'm a big fan. I start to walk away. And he goes, hey, come back. I go, what? He goes, what's your name? I go, Paul. He goes, oh, Paul, that's a good name. I'm like, I'll do the jokes, asshole. All right, just back <laughs> off. This is, this is all I have, okay? You've got everything. I. So he goes, what do you do? I'm a stand-up. We start talking. You got a kid? Yeah, I got a kid touring. That's hard. Yeah. One thing leads to another. And I'm talking to Paul McCartney, like I'm talking to you for like 10 minutes. And people are walking by me like, wait, Paul McCartney knows Paul McCartney. Like, I don't know. And I'm waiting for someone to tase me for talking to the guy. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then, and on the outside, I'm all smooth and hip. I'm like, hey, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. And on the inside, I'm like, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. Like, I was out of my mind, right? Like those girls you see, like from the 60s screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. And um, so... It comes full circle, by the way. I just did stand up on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, which is the stage where Ed Sullivan Theater is, which is where the Beatles made that per famous performance when they first came to America. It was like so; it's all full circle. So I'm standing on that same stage a couple of weeks ago. I just, just doing that stand up, my stand up set. So anyway, um, I say, okay, it's great to meet you, and I leave, and I call my wife, and I'm like. I go in the bathroom, I'm like hyperventilating, like I talk, I talk Paul McCartney. She goes, why are you breathing heavy in a bathroom? I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just calling you because I'm really, right? And so uh, 
I then hang up the phone. And I go, I, Paul McCartney should do my podcast. Like that's how my brain works. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, look at the guy's in his seventies. He's even going to know what a podcast is. Right. But I go and I knock on his dressing room door and I'm like, Hey, I know this is crazy, but I'd love to talk to you about making music. Would you do my podcast? He goes, yeah, sure. Just like that. Wow. And that's what threw me because I, I, it's sort of like when you're in high school and there's that really hot girl you want to ask out or guy, but they're way above your pay mm-hmm. grade, but you ask them out anyway. Uh, but you know, they're going to say no. Instead they say yes. And you don't have a plan. <laughs> well, that was me. Cause he yeah. goes, yeah, sure. How would we do it? And I literally made these noises. I'm like, ah, um, ah. and I'm like rubbing my leg, like rain, man. I was just like completely, I go, <laughs> I go, I go, uh, uh, yeah, I'll come to London. And he goes, we're in New York city together. Why would you come to London? <laughs> and then he said, is it easy to do? And I actually said to the most influential musician in the last century, uh, yeah, um, it's really easy. Uh, you could do it on your phone naked from your toilet. I'm like, what am I saying? <laughs> I got to get out of here. I'm going to screw this up. So I leave. I'm about to leave. I say, I'll go set this up with one of your assistants. And he goes, no, man. He goes, they'll just, uh, they'll mess it up. He goes, you and I'll do it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, let's just exchange numbers and I'll call you and we'll do it. And I'm like, okay. And then I said, I'm not going to sleep with you, old man. Uh, But then I said, actually, I'll sleep with you. You're a beetle. Screw it. I'll sleep with you. No. So I hand him my number, my hand shaking, and I'm handing my number to Paul McCartney. He's giving me his number. And then I thought I got it like Leno. I thought I got a really nice blow off. He does the Colbert show. Now I'm rushing to get to the daily show. My phone rings and I don't recognize the number. And I let it ring the voicemail. And this is the message on my phone. Hi, Paul. It's Paul McCartney here. Um, I'm going to ring you back in five minutes to do the podcast thing. I've got some time now. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of time. So if you're there in five minutes time, you got me. Okay, bye. <laughs> I'd shit myself. Uh, I, I would. I would shit myself. <laughs> and then I'm just, I picked that message up on the streets of New York and I started like ranting like a, you know, you see these sort of men, these people with mental problems who talk to voices in their heads. I was just like, damn it, screen call, Paul McCartney. Ah, never get him back. I'm just ranting and running around the sidewalk. It was a mess. And I called him back and he picked up the phone and some actually someone else that he was actually in the on the toilet and I had to wait for him. So now Well you told him you could do it on the toilet. Yeah, exactly. So it all came full circle. I go, just keep taking a shit and we'll talk. And uh nah, so I got him on and uh and I could picture him on the toilet. Like I'm like, oh, I must be the most genius shit ever. He's a genius. Everything he does is genius, right? <laughs> and uh and then I got him on the phone and we talked and that was that was I got the interview. It was crazy. You know- oh, I'm, and by the way, you would appreciate this. You know, being uh, creating podcasts, producing them, being on them. My studio at the time was in L.A. and I'm in New York. So I call him in L.A. and I go, uh, I need a recording line. I got Paul McCartney for an interview. And this young guy who like was like clueless goes, uh, yeah, we don't have anything available. There's somebody in the studio right now. <laughs> right. What exactly. And right. So I, you know, just lose it and go, did you not hear me? I have Paul McCartney. I said, unless you. Have Jesus Christ or John Lennon in that studio. Get him out of there right now. I need a... And then I was like, oh, my God. And then I had to stall Paul McCartney for 25 minutes while we got a line set up. Oh, my God. Because they, they, they had to get another, a different. It, it was crazy. It was the most stressful. At one point, I just said, sir, I'm losing my mind. Can we just set this up anytime? He goes, no, man, you got me now. You got to get me now. And, and I got him. And it was crazy. It was... I, you know, I think when, as listening to that story, you know, one of the things that strikes me is is why you got the interview is that you asked and that you went up and talked. Because I think today, and I, maybe you know, you've you've noticed as a as a celebrity, nobody goes up and talks and says hi and how are you doing anymore. They just walk up, put their camera up, and want to get a fucking selfie. You totally nailed it. That's exactly why I think. And I heard later he doesn't like it when people ask him for photos. I didn't ask him for a picture, and I didn't ask him uh, for an autograph. And I didn't, I wasn't one of those like sycophantic fans, like tell me about John and what was true. I didn't talk to him about the Beatles. I literally talked to him like I talked to you. We talked about his kid and my kid and touring and comedy and the comedians that he liked. He was close with like Richard Pryor and some of these other guys. And I think they just want to be treated like normal people, you know, especially him. He's the biggest star on the planet, literally. And I think that's what ingratiated me to him. And I, and I was honest when I said to him, I want to interview you because I want to talk to you about music and how you make music. 
And that's all I talked to him about. You go listen to the interview. There's not one question about his relationship with Yoko and if they still hate each other and, you know, getting laid on the road or some drug stories or, you know, what it was like John Lennon was like and none of that stuff. None of the salacious People magazine stuff. It was literally about the process of writing music. Like the first question I asked him was, I'm a comic and you have a certain style and your fans get used to it. But where did you guys at the tender age of like 20, 21, 22, where you had the world at your feet, get the guts to change your sound so radically from one album to the next and not worry about losing your fan base? And he goes, oh, well, nobody ever asked me that before. And so when they say that, you know, yeah, that's always the best. I, I, I get I get best. I get wood anytime we hear that that phrase. Exactly. Exactly. And you get you don't get wood that easily. You've got issues. I no, know. So, I got uh, serious issues. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, we didn't think about that at the time. We just would do something. And we're like, OK, we did that sound. Now let's go and explore and try something else. And like it was a pure artist answer. So I think that. Yeah, you know, attempting, you know, working on these shows, you're around these celebrities all the time. There is a sense, like, sense, sense, sensibility of like, oh, let me see if I can get something from the guy. Let me get a picture and show my friends. And then this ties back to your question about social media because, oh, I'll post it on social media and I'll get more followers and people think I'm cool. It's like social media creates monsters out of people. You know what I mean? Like it, it drives you to do stuff that you normally wouldn't do, you know? So that, I think that was, I think you're totally spot on. That was the key to that whole thing. All right, Paul, before we go, we've got a little segment we do at the end of the podcast called Three Killer Questions. I'm going mm-hmm. to ask you three questions. You're going to give me an answer. Uh, All the, right. The first question is, if you could listen to a podcast featuring anybody living or dead, whose podcast would you want to listen to? Uh, you mean with that person on it? Yeah, like with that person hosting it and being the, the focal uh, point. I think it would be, I think the Pope. Yeah, because like you never really hear much from the Pope except some prayers in Latin, and I don't have the time to study Latin. <laughs> and uh, I, th- you know, like kind of, I let, but like a, a real a real conversation with the Pope, not one that just is like this syrupy like religious thing. I think that would be really cool. And then I got ask him, you know, just at the end, like, what are you wearing under your robe? Are you wearing anything? Are you a tidy whitey guy? You know, I just throw in a couple of questions like that. <laughs> what was the first uh, piece of technology that changed your life? Oh, the vibrator. Uh, yeah. And I, and I was alone with it. I just used it on myself. It was, uh, it was, I wanted to go to prison. I liked it so much. Um, the first piece of technology to change my life, I'd have to say the, the computer, like just the, the idea that you could just like not have to write stuff out. And you know what I mean? Like, I think that just totally changed the whole dynamic of everything. Finally, what was the last podcast that you binged? Um, the last podcast I binged was uh, it was probably uh, it was probably WTF Marins, but I don't binge that often. I, I I mean I did a few in a row, but probably probably Marins, yeah, um, and also NPR. I tend to sort of live a lot on NPR too, because I think they bring on a, a variety of different guests that I like. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd probably say even before Marin, sort of MT, NPR, when, when they, um, the, and the, the New Yorker specifically with uh, David Remnick. Yeah, that's a great podcast. one. He just had uh, Bruce Springsteen on recently about it, talking about his book. And it was a really great conversation with Bruce. That was the kind of conversation I like to have on my podcast because you heard about stuff that you didn't really know about until now, like, you know, more details about his relationship with his father and, you know, that, that he had no drug policy in his band. I didn't know that, you know. Uh, so uh, that that probably, I, I reworked my answer to say David Remnick. It's a New Yorker podcast, maybe my number one there right now. And the final bonus question, which I feel good. Yeah, bonus. Yeah, this yeah, gets to the mean? soul. This is, this is embracing my wacky uh, morning show radio roots. If, yeah. you're, if you're a sandwich personified, not your favorite sandwich, but if there was a sandwich that said you, what, what, mm. what would you be? Wow. Oh, I think I'd be like a, I think I'd be like a really messy club sandwich, like a lot of stuff going on, but it kind of all works together, but like a mess, you know, like, uh, there's bacon hanging out of one side and a, 
a half ripe tomato hanging out of another, the chicken salad, then you get that bread in the middle. Then you get the, you got the, maybe some lettuce, a little bit of onion. Like I'm, I got so much going on. Like I'm, a, I'm kind of a mess. Like I'm getting in arguments with people. It's the Italian in me. It's like that kind of thing. I think, I think that that would be, I think a chicken club sandwich, chicken salad club, that would be it. Paul Mercurio from the Paul Mercurio Show. <laughs> you can find it out on iHeartRadio on the app. Also, check him out December 7th through 10th at the Tampa Improv in Tampa, Florida, and December 14th through the 17th at Omaha Funny Bone in Omaha, Nebraska. I hope one day I'm A-list enough to have you interview me. I've been on this end of interviews with you for so many years now. I, yeah, I, I can't I wait for you, that. Why don't I have you come on? Let's do that. I would do it anytime, sir. All right. Um, what's your name again? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. You're right. We should do that. Why haven't we done that? Yeah, yeah let's we'll do, do that. Uh, podcaster Maddie Stout right after uh, Judd Apatow, Brian Cranston, and Stephen Colbert. I fit right. Yeah, in. absolutely. <laughs> We're gonna have. I'll have Fucker. you on definitely. I'm sorry, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> like next week or the week after. You let me know. You know I'd love. Oh, actually, you know what? I'm booked up till 2020, yeah, but I'll so... get you in. I'll work you in. Yeah, no, I would love to do that. That would be so awesome because you've got <laughs> such a great story yourself. All right. Done. All right. Sounds good. You know I love you. I love you too, buddy. See, you know why I like that interview the best? What? I didn't have to do very much. Yeah, he does a lot of talking. <laughs> He's got some good stories. Though. I love Paul. And Paul tells a great story. Yeah. And and he's just, he's easy. And I'll tell you what, though, that guy works and hustles a lot. Like when he comes it to town, like you know, he's always, you know, trying right. to, you know, you know, hustle to get folks at his show. And, um, and I think that we didn't talk about it during the podcast a lot, but the thing he's best known for is being a writer for The Daily Show and The Colbert Report. And that's where he won the Peabody Award, was for being a writer for The Daily Show. So he is one of the top comedy writers out there. It's so crazy to see, like, hear his story from being a lawyer and living that double life and then making, like, switching careers so drastically and then going to the level he's at. It was really cool to see that. I mean, getting to The Daily Show is like a pinnacle for a lot of comedians. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, and he he was there from the day one. Oh, oh, seriously? Oh, yeah, he was part of the, the, the team that built that show. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to run through this because that interview went a lot longer than expected. Yeah. So Z is in, uh, by the way, to tell us about some podcasts that uh, you should be listening to. Yes. So my first one is The Ezra Klein Show. And I was already a fan of him because he's the editor at large at Vox.com, which is one of my favorite websites. And it's a political interview podcast, but he's just so well thought out and he's so well researched. And he just makes the guests go the extra mile with his follow-up questions, and I really like that, and it's educational. There is a pretty interesting series of debates about impeachment uh, if you go back into the Constitutional Convention. And at some point, there is a version of the impeachment power proposed that enumerates what you can be impeached for. And the ideas were bribery and treason. And someone, that's it. That's it. And someone comes back and says, well, that's ridiculous. Um, there's much more. And there's another version that has maladministration which is much closer to, to the argument I'm making, by the way, about Trump. And that is also, to be fair, rejected. I'm a big fan of Vox. It's, yeah. I pull a lot of prep. Really good content. Yeah, really good content. If, if you're looking for a content place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Next one is the Joe Rogan Experience. He is a stand-up comedian, and he also does like color commentary for UFC. I don't want to take credit for Joe Rogan's career as far as podcasting and radio. But when I did the Alice Morning Show, we had... When comedians came in, we let them just hang out and talk. Right. That was my philosophy on, on on comedians. And Joe would come in, and he was so happy. He never had a place that let him come in and spout his craziness and talk yeah. about going into his his, his uh, immersion chamber and, and the drugs that he took and all of that. And we gave him an open forum. So when Joe would come in, he'd sit in for two hours. So... I know he got a good taste of that. Yeah, and I know, like, you know, when Kevin Smith came in a lot, he said the same thing, that those guys um, felt like that's where they actually got to spread their wings and and, and get into that kind of talk radio. So I'm not taking credit for it. But But you're a part of it. I took credit. (laughs) But I really like his podcast because it's it varies from comedy to, like, he has great people on. Like, he can talk to 
Jamie Foxx in one episode and then like a psychology professor about mental illness and you know inequality and stuff so it it's super it ranges rogan is like wicked that. smart yeah and, you <laughs> he know, really is he really is you can't do a talk show if you're not super smart yeah let's check out a little taste of it you also see. get humbled a lot as a comedian yeah you got to get those jokes you're performing in front of a live audience yeah. it's all live yeah. it's got to work and it doesn't work shit you got to go back to the drawing board yeah, and you got to assess yeah yeah actors don't get a lot of that that's one of the reasons why they're kind of shaky yeah more shaky all right, what you got now? Last one is Fresh Air with Terry Gross. The the, the ultimate pinnacle of pinnacle 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 <laughs> of of interview podcast, as I, opposed to mine, which is kind of a downslope no, for a lot of know. people. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean Terry Gross is is as the legend, and I I I've been listening to her for years, but I used to make fun of her a bit because sometimes her questions, she's so well researched, she'd mm-hmm. be like, so in third grade you wrote a poem about right. oak trees <laughs> now last year you did a movie uh in the and in the main scene where you talking to your lover there was an oak tree in the background now i couldn't help but put those two together is there anything to that and she'll bring those guests to that mile right and like then the guy yeah and then the guest will be like, like absolutely yeah. right terry <laughs> that's the same tree as in the poem and the thing is like you did her impersonation and that's what i love most about her her voice eases me so i could be like cooking or like cleaning and i'll just put it on that's right see yeah exactly <laughs> It's yeah. always it's always nice when you're listening to Terry Gross. <laughs> she never gets too excited about anything. No, no, she really yes. doesn't. But I like that. Yeah. It's calming. All right, let's hear Terry. <laughs> you had to basically study everything that makes the room weird and unintentionally funny. The writing, the acting, the edits, the use of music. Because you had to reproduce some of it in addition to telling <laughs> the behind-the-scenes yes. story. That was wonderful, Z. You've done a great job today. Thank you. Hey, everybody. It's been another fantastic show. It's been Access Podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Stout. (laughs) Access Podcast has been brought to you by the fine support of the Wilcox family. (laughs) Katie Wilcox and family at iHeartRadio San Francisco. And a a wonderful donation from the Peterson Group, Chris Peterson at iHeartRadio. Special thanks goes out to Dalton Runberg for doing the artwork and Casey Franco for the wonderful music that we've heard today on Access Podcast. I want to especially thank our guest today, Paul Mercurio. Go look him up at the Paul Mercurio Show on iHeartRadio. And Z, I just want to say to you, you're doing a fantastic job today. Thank you. I appreciate it. As our producer. That's going to do it for now. If you'd like to hear more about our show, go to Access Podcast on Facebook or Access Podcast One on the Twitter. I hear all the kids are into the Twitter these days. (laughs) Go check us out there. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, go find a podcast on iHeartRadio and tell your friends about it. Bye-bye.